I think that a lot of the songs that people um, heard through the years were songs that, that were from his heart. That was his way of, of getting away from the anger and the bitterness and the, um, the tough parts of childhood. And he was able to, to um, sing us his life through song. And I think through that he found so many other people related. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Our guests today are two music artists whose faith and the faith of their families sustained them during times of success and times of suffering. Legendary country music artist Randy Travis and his wife Mary, and country music singer and songwriter John Berry. First up, Randy Travis's rise to fame included 20 studio albums, which yielded 16 number one singles. After his big breakout in the 1980s and his continued success in the 90s, Travis went on to record several Christian country records as well, and his song Three Wooden Crosses earned the 2003 CMA Song of the Year Award and a Grammy Award for Best Male Country Performance. Randy and Mary share about Randy's early years in music, his recommitment to his faith, and how they both clung to God when a devastating illness threatened Randy's life. I'm asked to speak for, for Randy, yeah. and everybody knows Randy Travis, a great American, a great country singer, and um, made his, made his, uh, his mark in, in an acting career with over 46 movies. But it all started in um, Marshville, North Carolina. That's where he was born and raised. Um, six children in his family, and um, had a sweet, sweet mama that, um, kind of mm -hmm. developed the softer parts of their hearts. And I mm -hmm. think if you ask any of his brothers and sisters, they'll tell you the same thing. And yeah. Daddy was a little bit rougher. <laughs> um, he, was, he was tougher on them. Um, yeah. It was a, a farming yeah. family. He raised horses and cows and yeah. at one time had uh, turkey houses. And Mama yeah. was kind of the, the moderator between Dad and the, the mm -hmm. kids. And it was tough sometimes, real tough. Yeah. And um, but I think that that's where he got his the soft side and the gracious side. That you know that goes back to when Mama prayed when he sang that song. It just meant yeah. so much to him because he remembered Mama praying and um, going to church by herself and and hoping Daddy would show up yeah. eventually. Don't you think that he just he wanted music in the house, yeah. right? He yeah. loved music, right? Yeah. And. Yeah. Um, I think that his daddy, it seemed like, from what I know, of course I wasn't there back then, but it seemed like his daddy put a horse under their backside and mm -hmm. an instrument in their hands long before mm -hmm. he, he knew that there might be a, um, a talent. So he, he insisted, you said forced, and yes, it was, it was kind of yeah. like that. <laughs> he gave him a guitar or an, an instrument and said, you will all play an instrument. And none of them really sang. So Daddy got to the point where he said, okay, somebody in this house is gonna sing. <laughs> Daddy loved to sing, but he just, yeah. he and he cut an album or two early on. Yeah. Uh, not an album, but a song or two, right? Yeah. And, um, but nobody else was singing. And he told Miss Kate Mangrum when he sent he and Ricky to lessons, both, both for guitar lessons, Randy Nine, Ricky 10. And he said, one of you is gonna sing. And neither one of them wanted to sing. They just wanted to play the guitar. So by default, since he was younger, he had to start singing. And yeah. that's 
He opened his mouth, and Miss Kate said, we've got something special here. So at that point in time, I think they all thought, wow, this is the aha moment. Yep. So that's where it, it did. It started under duress, I think. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think Randy, he always said, I'm so glad that Daddy did that. You know, he and Daddy butt, butted heads a lot <laughs> over <Wow>. things. <laughs> He's always said, I was so glad that Daddy forced me to, to sing and play the guitar. He said, because that's where I found my way out. He and Ricky started playing in uh, Fiddler's Conventions yeah. and VFW's lo local lo local places and started winning ribbons. Yeah. That's when Randy said that he started figuring out that maybe, maybe there's something here, maybe I have something unique, and maybe I have something that I can offer the world yeah. um, outside of these city limits of of Marshville, though he loved Marshville and the people there, um, he he knew that he needed to get out. You know, yeah, Nashville was it was an exciting time for him, and he um, he worked there at the Nashville Palace. Yeah. So John A. owned Nashville Palace at that time, and um, so he gave Randy a, a job cooking and cleaning and bussing tables and. Uh, he did the plumbing, and he did landscape, and he did construction work. Yeah. He did a little bit of everything just to make yeah. ends meet. And he he stood at the door and he knocked. Yeah. And um, he was ever so patient while he stood there and he knocked. And he and he did he did what he had to do to finally get um, get yeah. his songs heard. Get uh, God answered the door eventually, and but it was the testing time, and those are always good for us. Country music had kind of gone the way of urban cowboy, more pop. Um, his love for music obviously came from his dad, and they loved the old traditional country music. Hank Williams Sr., um, Vern Gosden, and yeah. I, uh, George Jones. You, just the, that old country music is what he loved so much. Yeah. Um, and that's what he was determined to stick to, to bring back, to, you know, he wasn't going to, and then, of course, he's, he's like so many of them that go to Nashville, they kind of get, they kind of get tilted towards whatever radio's playing or whatever the, the, um, the label says they need to be doing, and, mm. and they tried to do that with Randy, and he's like, no, I'm, I'm traditional country music, and I can't be anything else but that, and so he, he stuck to those guns, mm. and, Again, thank goodness for that, because not only did he get his songs heard, but like Garth says, he kicked the door open. And, you know, he, he nailed it to the floor for us. He said because there was a lot of them out there singing traditional country, but nobody was hearing them. And he said then when Randy came along and um, 1982 came out yeah. and hit number one, and then soon thereafter, Warner re-released on the other hand, and that went number one. Then people started going, oh, that's country music. If you just go and talk to some of the other guys, they'll, they'll tell you, Dwight Yoakam, we just saw him last week, yeah. this past weekend, mm -hmm. and he said the same thing. He said, man, it's just, it's such an honor to be, you know, with you this many years down the road, and thank you for doing what you did. And, you know, that's, I think that's so gratifying when we're, mm -hmm. 
when we're um, at this place in our life and you kind of standing on the distant shores and looking back and, and recognizing the ripples that you made. And uh, it's, it's nice when, you, when, when we get around some of his, his friends and his fellow country artists and they, yeah. they tell us that. But you know, it's always nice when you find that you're not alone. And he found out that people loved his songs and the more he heard that it touched somebody, the more I'm inclined he was to sing a new song, write a new song. So I think that's why now as we look back in retrospect, we have such a beautiful catalog of Randy Travis music, straight from the heart. God worked, you know, mm. some, some, some wonderful things in Randy's heart at that time. So it didn't come easy for him. It was in the early 90s. They were living in Ashland City, Tennessee. And they were going to a church there in Ashland City. I think it was Church of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Was it um, Pastor Harless that was yeah. there? Yeah. And um, he just, he knew that that was something he needed to, to profess, um, to, uh, to try to leave some of the old stuff behind. He went in and, and Pastor Harless uh, baptized him that, that Sunday night, I think, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So once he made up his mind, he knew that that's the direction he wanted to go. He had done um, an album called Rise and Shine. They'd finished the album, and Kyle was mixing it. Somebody, and I wished I could remember the name, they gave Kyle this song and said, this is for Randy's voice. This song needs to be sung by Randy. And Kyle said, are you sure? It's a great song. And the guy said, no, it's Randy. It's Randy's voice. Here's another angel that comes along in your life. And um, unselfishly gave that song to Kyle to give to Randy. Randy was um, took it with him, and he was, I think you were on the treadmill or the bike or something, and he had his headphones on. He was listening to it. He said, I listened to it two or three times got off the treadmill or bike and called Kyle and I said, he said, we're going back in the studio. We're putting this on the album. Mm -hmm. Kyle's like, we just finished, Hoss, we already finished this album. Mm -hmm. You know, he said, no, this is going on this album. So that was why it was the last track on Rise and Shine. Mm -hmm. And um, turned out to be, turned out, it worked out for everybody, mm -hmm. I think. It was a, what a song. And it just, it crossed all the genres and mm -hmm. it, you know, it brought a lot of people together. It wasn't, it wasn't just country, it wasn't just gospel, it wasn't just, it was, it, it spoke to everybody. Everybody, um, everybody could, could relate to that. There are three wooden crosses on the right side of the highway. Why there's not four of them, now I guess we know. It's not what you take when you leave this world. It did touch a lot of lives. I, I believe it was, I've read, it was a Reverend Coffin Daffer, if you can believe that, Reverend Coffin Daffer, was the one that started putting crosses on the side of the road for people, mm -hmm. memorials. And um, so we have uh, uh, Three wooden crosses here in the in the front entryway, and they were they were carved out of a triple trunk cedar tree by a gentleman that lives a little bit west of us, and he had lost his daughter to 
Um, I believe it was a drunk driver from what I understand. Um, and it was a traffic accident. And he kind of went, he went quiet. He went dormant. He didn't know how how to understand or how to deal with that kind of pain. And um, so he at one point found this tree, and like I said, it had a triple trunk. And he started, he spent a lot of time out on his land by himself after his daughter's passing and started making these crosses. So once he found this triple trunk, it was kind of his mission, from what I understand, to find Randy to make sure that he got the three wooden crosses in memory of his daughter. So, And he has Randy's initials carved in the side. And it's just, it's it's a constant reminder to me, and I think you too, every time we, we look at it, of mm. how, how truly blessed we are. Randy's life in music has had an impact on millions of people. The strength he showed in his career and the faith that inspired him would be something that he would draw from as he and Mary faced one of the most challenging experiences of their lives, a devastating stroke that almost took Randy's life. We, we made a good team going through it. Um, yeah. I, it's, it's one of those things I've told people, I said, it's a crash course. It's not anything that you are ever prepared for. Doesn't know, it doesn't matter how many years of school you have, you can never prepare for um, a calamity like that. And it, um, it happened overnight. As far, you know, as far as we knew, there was things going on um, with the heart, with the viral cardiomyopathy that um, Dr. Mack had, of course, educated us on after the fact. Uh, that had been going on probably for five weeks, four or five weeks, mm -hmm. but we didn't know that was going on. And um, by the time we got to the hospital, the heart was shutting down, and um, the um, it had done its damage. So that's when he flatlined, and it was all within 24 hours that we went from packing a bus to go on a, you know, the Canada tour to being in the hospital for almost six months. So it was overnight and it was it was rapid fire. So he got down to right below 100 pounds. You know, he was on feeding tubes, he was on IVs, he had two brain surgeries, he had several tracheotomies, he was intubated, he was on ECMO, which is life support. Um, then when you think you're out of the woods, then he had the, um, the three hospital-borne bacterias. And that's when they said, there's nothing else we can do for him. Just, you know, there's no way he can survive these. We can't get on top of the staph infection. And um, they said, you just, you, it's, it's a hard decision, but you just need to think maybe of letting him go. And I went into the room and oh, I just sat down and talked to him. And I said, honey, if you, if you want to keep fighting this fight, I said, let me know. I said, I need to know. And it was the sweetest. It was a moment I'll take to my grave. I was holding this hand because, of course, that one was paralyzed. So I was holding this hand, and he squeezed it. And this is, I just will never forget this sweet, sweet tear. That, And I knew that he wanted to keep fighting. At this point, he was semi-comatized, you know, but he knew what was going on. He knew exactly what was going on. And I knew then that he wasn't ready to give up. So, you know, I was kind of like a mama bear at this point in time. I just, 
I told him, I said, we're going to give it all we've got, and, and I'm watching every move y'all make. You just got to give this guy a chance. God wasn't through with Randy. He wasn't through with what Randy could do um, in this world and the difference that he could make in lives. I did a lot of praying. And this Jesus Calling, it was, it was so interesting to me because um, I remembered my brother, Stubbs, that made the shirts that Randy wore. He and his wife gave me a copy. He and Holly gave me a copy of Jesus Calling. Um, Denise and George yeah. and Luke, um, Luke's our godson, and Luke and Kennedy, they, they brought us Jesus Calling. Yeah. It was, I think within the first week of being there, I had six Jesus Callings. Everybody that came brought a Jesus Calling. This is, this is I think, the one that um, George and Denise and Luke gave us. Then I had the, other, the leather bound. It came in all shapes and sizes. Um, I know at the at the heart hospital there was people that would come in, of course, with heart attacks and triple bypasses, and they didn't know if they were going to live. So, yeah, I, I, I shared four or five of my Jesus callings with people, but it was just one of those things that um, it helped me get through those times because I could turn to any page in there and read something that that gave me some strength and helped me to understand that what we were going through, we weren't alone. Yeah. Right before Brandy and Mary left the hospital to head back home, they opened to the Jesus Calling passage for that day, November 16th, and found strength and comfort for the days of recovery that lay ahead. It says, as you look at the day before you, you see a twisted, complicated path with branches going off in all directions. You wonder how you can possibly find your way through the maze. Then you remember the one who is with you always, holding, holding you by your right hand. You recall my promise to guide you with my counsel, and you begin to relax. As you look again at the path ahead, you notice that a peaceful fog has settled over it, obscuring your view. You can only see a few steps in front of you, so you turn your attention more fully to me and to begin to enjoy my presence. The fog is a protection for you, calling you back into the present moment. Although I inhabit all of space and time, you can communicate with me only here and now. Someday the fog will no longer be necessary, for you will have learned to keep your focus on me and on the path just ahead of you. We leaned real hard on God, and I know I spent a lot of nights um, over in my little hospital cot or chair or whatever was there, and talking to God and saying prayers. And, you know, it was, it was a, um, there was a newness in me as far as my faith. And I always asked him, I said, God, I said, just please give him back to me. I don't care what way, shape, or form, just please let me have him back. And he was faithful. God was faithful. I'm so grateful for that, for that unspoken you know, relationship that we have. I mean, I can tell him all day how much he means to me, but he can't tell me that. And I think early on that frustrated him a little bit, yeah. didn't it? You would get a little upset. Yeah. There was times when I think he was, you were pretty down, weren't you? Yeah. For a while. Yeah. But since then, I think we've, we've kind of adjusted to, to our new life. 
Yeah. And we're okay with that. You know, you, you learn to, to laugh. I think that's, yeah. that's one of the things that every day we try to find something to laugh at, or us. We'll laugh at ourselves more than anything, right? Yeah, okay. But <laughs> we do. We find something to laugh about. And, um, you know, I think the great thing about love is that you, you, um, you know the worst about each other, but you only see the best. You forgive. You keep God in the middle of all of it because there's mm-hmm. days when you, you, you don't understand each other there's there's tough days. There's there's still tough days, but mm. you know we we go to bed and smile, and we wake up and we smile, and yeah. you know you forgive, you forget, you go on. There's you know I, life is life is still good. It's just different. Randy has a new book that gives deeper insight into his story called Forever and Ever, Amen a memoir of music, faith, and braving the storms of life. It's available wherever you buy books. Stay tuned for our next interview with country music artist John Barry after a brief message about a free offer from Jesus Calling. Want a daily reminder that we can have hope, peace, and joy each day in Jesus? Now it's as easy as opening an email. The Jesus Calling Daily Email brings you a thought from the Jesus Calling family of devotionals every day. Brighten up your inbox with this little reminder and take a minute to connect with God during your day. To sign up to get your free daily thought from Jesus Calling, please visit jesuscalling.com slash daily dash email. That's jesuscalling.com slash daily dash email. Motherhood. It's a journey like no other, teeming with love, unparalleled dedication, and moments that pierce the very essence of your soul. It's a trek that demands to be celebrated, lauded, and embraced in its entirety. Celebrate the moms in your life this Mother's Day with two beautiful gift books, Jesus Calling for Moms by Sarah Young and Grace for the Moment for Moms by Max Licato. These heartfelt devotionals will remind the moms in your life just how special they are. Jesus Calling for Moms and Grace for the Moment for Moms are available now where all books are sold. During times of transition and unknown next steps, it's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for a special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com. Our next guest is country music singer and songwriter John Barry. John's love for music was planted in his heart from an early age. When he was just 20 years old, he cut his first independent album, but a short time later, his family was devastated by tragedy. John watched his family move through grief with God by their side, something he would remember a decade later when at the beginning of his rise to fame, he experienced one of the darkest moments of his life. 
Well, my name is John Barry, and I sing songs and write songs and ride around on my bus and stop and sing for more people. <laughs> uh, I'm originally from Aiken, South Carolina, and I grew up in a wonderful home with dear parents, sweet parents. Uh, my mom, Marie, was a sweet, sweet soul. My dad, Jim, loved us. He was a hard-working man, worked construction as long as I can recall. And um, he was uh, a godly man who poured into his family, his kids. He would always read the Bible to us at, at dinner time. We, you know, it ends up there's the book of Proverbs is a, uh, got 31 chapters and most months have got pretty close to 30 days. So we we got a chapter of, of Proverbs a, a day, whether we thought we needed it or not. <laughs> As I got older, I realized how important that really was. There's something about that pouring in of God's Word to our heart that it absorbs into us and becomes part of our spiritual DNA. Well, I grew up in a real musical home. My mom had a lovely voice, and my sister had a lovely voice, and she sang lots of stuff she heard on the radio growing up. And, and she and my brother would sing at our uh, church youth group. My brother learned to play the guitar when he was in his uh, early teens, I guess. And, um, and me being the younger brother, I often did what the older brother did, and so I learned to play the guitar as well. I cut my first little independent record in summer of 1979. I guess it was January of 81, I guess two years later. Uh, my mom passed away, and um, that, was, that was a pretty hard thing to understand and cope with as a young man. But, you know, to watch my dad go through that, to watch him grieve and watch him to lean on Christ and to get him up in the morning to deal with facing every day, it was it was quite a lesson to see my father cling to to Christ and through that time of his life. Fall of eighty one, November eighth, a lady ran a stop sign and hit me on my motorcycle and broke both my legs. And um, I couldn't go back to the job I had. I was working at a little factory in northeast Georgia, northeast Atlanta, and. Um, I couldn't go back to working on that concrete floor and doing the assembly thing, but I could sit on a guitar, sit on a stool and play a guitar. And uh, so that was the very bright silver lining to that very dark cloud. And um, so that's what kind of got me into music full time. I ended up doing six independent records before I signed with a major. And then 1990, I cut my last independent, Saddle the Wind. And moving to Athens was when things really started to turn into something. I played clubs in Athens for eight years, and we developed quite a following there. It was a lot of fun. We had so much fun. And I was coming home from playing a club in Athens. It's very late at night, early in the morning. And a song came on the radio. It was a new song by country artist Joe Diffie. It's a song called Ships That Don't Come In. And I don't know what it was. I always had loved Joe Diffie. And I turned the volume up, listened to Joe sing this song. And he sang the line, And to those who stand on empty shores and spit against the wind, and those who wait forever for ships that don't come in. 
It, it hit me like a daggone freight train. And I got home and I woke my wife Robin up and I said, you know, I told her about this song I'd heard. So we sat up all night and came up with a plan to go to Nashville. So we went May of 1992, did our first industry showcase at Douglas Corner. We sent out 250 invitations. And uh, one guy on that list showed up, a guy named Herky Williams. And Herky worked for Jimmy Bowen, who ran Capitol Records. Herky was so excited we were there. He had heard about me from his sister, who went to the University of Georgia. He had come to Athens a couple of years prior to hear another band. And while he was there, he came by to see me. And there was a line down the street. He came by twice. He couldn't get in. So when he saw I was playing in Nashville, it really piqued his interest. And uh, they put a private showcase together for, for Bowen. And we did the deal. And it was pretty awesome. And uh, Bowen signed me to Capitol, put my first record out. And first single did, got in top 40. Second single got in top 15. And third single... Uh, we were really hoping it'd get some legs because if it didn't, I'd probably be out the door. And But it did. It got to number one. But your love amazes me. As John began to see his dreams of being a Nashville country music artist unfold before him, something else he didn't expect was happening in his life. As he struggled to identify the source behind the debilitating headaches he was having and his loss of appetite, he also began to pull away from the people he loved. It was weird. Uh, Robin was pregnant with our second child, Sean, and I sent them home. They were kind of crowding my space, and um, I quit calling home and quit going home. I just stay on the bus or stay in the hotel, and I found out later every time I was off the bus, the guys in the band would go go rummage through the back room trying to find the drugs they know I had to have been on because I was losing so much weight and so sick all the time and turned into some evil dude. And I was in Washington, D.C. in April of 94. Um, Robin found me at the hotel and called, got a hold of me. And she said, Sean's going to be born today. She was headed to the hospital. And I was, my response was, well, that's great. Let me know how it goes. About 10 minutes later, my road manager gets a phone call from my mother-in-law, Carol. When Carol speaks, people listen. <laughs> and uh, she said, I don't care what he's doing. You get him on a plane home today. I don't remember flying to Atlanta. I don't remember renting a car. I don't remember driving to Athens. I do vaguely remember going to the hospital and walking in to Robin's room. And she said she hardly recognized me. I looked so different. She asked if I would take Sean back to the nursery, and I reluctantly did, and I was walking back down the hall towards her room and didn't want to go, and I felt so bad, and I just sat down on the floor. And a nurse walked by who knew me, and she said, John, are you okay? Um, all I know is I was on a gurney going really fast to the emergency room. <laughs> And they did a, a CAT scan, and they found what they thought was a keloid cyst in the third ventricle of my brain. It wasn't an aneurysm. It got so large, so, I mean, when we say large, we're talking about the end, of the, the end of your pinky large. 
but inside your brain that takes up a lot of room and it had gotten where it it blocked the fluid draining down the spinal column and caused the fluid to build up around the brain and they said uh, we're going to do a craniotomy monday morning basically take the top of your head off move your brain over and go get this thing out of there i said great i'll see you monday morning I got to fly back to DC. I got a show to do Saturday night. <laughs> he said, he said, no, 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 no. <laughs> You're not going anywhere. You don't understand. You're having brain surgery. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> and, uh, they did that and I woke up and I was me. And, uh, of course my wife Robin had to go from being basically abandoned to being the, my nurse, as well as the nur- the mom of a brand new newborn and a, a two-year-old or a four-year-old that she already had and our oldest daughter, Taylor Marie. And uh, she couldn't have done it without the love of Christ. It just couldn't have happened. So I have to thank our Heavenly Father every day for the love this woman has for me. John's recovery and the healing of both his body and his relationships validated the trust he already had in God, and he found himself in pursuit of things that spoke to his gratefulness and increasing faith. One of those projects was lending his voice to the title song of the inspirational film, Beautifully Broken. Well, the uh, movie was produced by Chuck Howard, and Chuck is the guy that produced all of my records that you've heard on the radio. And uh, a few years ago, he uh, became a Christian and just felt that he needed to go do something else and um, ended up making inspirational films. And um, he had this movie in the works, uh, Beautifully Broken, and he sent me a rough edit and a note that said, let me know what you think about this. And um, he said, I've got a song I'd like for you to sing in this film. It takes place in 1994, and um, it's the genocide in Rwanda, Africa. And the storyline is there's these three families, two from Rwanda and a family from Brentwood, Tennessee, and how God weaves this tapestry where they save each other's lives. And it is, at the end, when it all comes together, it's like, you're kidding me. (laughs) Wow. And uh, so I called Chuck and I said, I haven't heard the song yet, but if if me lending my voice will encourage anybody to see this film, I'm in. And then I heard the song. (laughs) Oh, wow. You're kidding me. Can't say enough about it. It's just really just a, a gift. Just a gift. You can see when John Barry is performing at a city near you at johnberry.com. The movie, Beautifully Broken, is now available on DVD. If you'd like to hear more stories about people living their faith in the spotlight, check out our interview with country music singer Josh Turner. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we talk with legendary Christian music artist and songwriter Stephen Curtis Chapman and his daughter Emily Chapman Richards. Stephen and his wife, Mary Beth, founded the orphan advocate organization, Show Hope, which exists to help adoptive families and children during all stages of the adoption process, which Emily now runs on behalf of the family. 
Stephen reflects on the grace God gives parents in raising their children. Emily even talks about this as a mom now. You know, it feels like the jury is out until, you know, until we stand before Jesus, which then thankfully it's all going to be grace and all of that. But it's like, I don't know if I did it. I don't know if I did it right, if I did it well. I see some moments where I did. I see some a lot of moments where I didn't. Um, so God, just pour a lot of grace over top of all of that, please, um, because that's our only hope. Do you love hearing these stories of faith weekly from people like you whose lives have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling Stories of Faith podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review so that we can reach others with these inspirational stories. And you can also see these interviews on video as part of our original web series, with a new interview premiering every other Sunday on Facebook Live. Find previously broadcast interviews on our YouTube channel, on IGTV, or on JesusCalling.com video.